0: Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Isaac Newton's Three Laws of Motion, Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, and perhaps best known, of course, are the Three Laws for Proper Care of Your Mogwai. Uh, Today we are talking about the 1984 film Gremlins, a film that uh, I thought was a horror movie as a kid and, of course, figured out later it was a satire piece And, of course, uh, a non-traditional Christmas movie. So there's lots to enjoy about this little flick. Uh, We're going to get into all of it. But I am not doing it alone because someone got me wet before this happened. And now we have two bald uh, podcasters here today. (laughs) Uh, So I've got my buddy here. He is, uh, of course, a performer at the West Side Comedy Theater. You can uh, find his uh, teaching at Rich Baker Coaching. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, Rich Baker.
1: Thank you, Doug. Uh, we do this so often. They're going to say it's love of nostalgia.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say you're you're becoming the. Uh, if this was SNL, you're Steve Martin now.
1: I'm honored. I'm honored to be your Steve Martin, sir. I, I I love this. I love this stuff. I love I listen to your episodes. I'm not on. I just I really I love what you do.
0: Well, thank you, and I'm glad you're here because uh, you you suggested this topic, and uh, again, such an easy, fun topic to pick. Like, the, what a great movie! Uh, can you tell us a little yeah. about why you wanted to do Gremlin?
1: You know, it's it's one of those movies that, uh, again, kind of like in the tradition of Tangermuth and Charles, we talked about before, where I've once I saw it as a kid, I just never stopped watching it. Like, I rewatch it every Christmas, basically. And, uh, I, I love it. It just, there's something about it that speaks to me, you know, and it's ironic. It's got so many ties to It's a wonderful life, which is, you know, very much a staple stereotype of the Christmas rewatch. But for me, gremlins is like, that's my Christmas movie.
0: You know, I, I don't have a, uh, a Christmas movie. I am Jewish. So, uh, you know, I don't have that emotional tie to Christmas, but there's plenty of sure. about Christmas. I, I love uh, and this movie is one of them, partially because it is so uh, off the beaten path for for normal Christmas movies. But you can't divorce this movie from Christmas. The whole thing is it's set at Christmas. it's full of Christmas music. As you mentioned, it's a wonderful life is like prominently featured. Uh, you know there's so much Christmas embedded into this thing. And I was thinking about that too as I watched it and I thought, you know, if they had just had not set this around a holiday if it had just been taking place in June. Uh, would it still be a good movie? And I think it would still be a good movie. There, there's a lot here, but it's like putting it at Christmas just adds this wonderful extra flavor to the movie. Yeah. That, like It gives you so much more to work with. Like there's something just fun about making this at Christmas.
1: Yeah. And you know, I'm not a fan of just like set your movie at a big holiday just to do it. But I, I agree with you. Like it's embedded in the plot. It makes sense with the message underneath it all. Like, and it's just that, again, as you said, that flavor that mixes with the horror and the comedy and the Christmas is just like, there's something real nice about it.
0: I'm sure there was a studio note somewhere where someone said, like, Can't, why isn't it set at Halloween? And, sure. like, I think it, that would not have been additive, uh, additive. That would have been redundant to make it Halloween. Like, I,
1: you know. Yeah, 100%. Because the movie, as we'll probably talk about later, has a lot to do with commercialism and, like, you know, the industrial age and things like that. And so, like, what is more commercial than Christmas?
0: Yeah, there's a lot to get into here um, because there 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 is this other fun wavelength that the movie's operating on, in addition to just being a good popcorn flick. uh, That we'll we'll definitely get into all of that. Do you remember the first time you saw it? I, I
1: don't remember specifically, but I would have been very young, and it would have been on HBO.
0: Oh, it, it, it's not TV. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> my uh, my my parents, uh, my dad was very much an early adopter of HBO, and so we had it as a kid. I watched, like, Tales from the Crypt and all that. And so if a movie was one of those that HBO reran a lot, I probably watched it a lot. And that's, yeah. this was absolutely
0: one of them. Yeah, I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. I'm sure I was too young for it, uh, yep. and I and I definitely think that I mean as a kid I believed it was a horror movie, and it was a, a horror movie that I remember had entertaining, silly elements to it. But I, I was way too young to figure out that oh, okay, the Joe Dante the director and Chris Columbus the the writer they're working on you know this other thing that they're trying to do as you know as a satire or. Uh, kind of spoofing things, so yeah, I just thought I was like, oh, I'm I'm getting away with watching a horror movie, which in reality, like, oh, it's a horror movie, but it's not a very scary one. You know, it's there, there's horror elements, but it's it's more comedy than you think.
1: Yeah, but I, I got to give it credit for really kind of adapting to multi genres because the 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 elements that are horror feel very horror. You know, the uh, the science teacher and the uh, Mrs. Peltzer fight particularly they feel very much in that vein. Like, oh, they nailed it without winking at the camera. They just did that
0: genre. Yeah, it's really interesting. They sort of they kind of hide their light under a bushel because a lot of the movie does play like a horror movie. And they're not quite letting you in on the comedy just yet. And the comedy actually comes, it's more, you know, backloaded toward the end of the movie when the gremlins are running wild. Then it really gets into some Looney Tunes shit. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, the, the part of the movie that should be the scariest is actually kind of the silliest. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this would be a good time to talk about kind of some of the the antecedents to this movie. Because there's a lot of stuff, like, as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, that without name checking any of these things the inspiration is really obvious once you kind of know what these are but like for example oh, yeah. uh i did you ever ever heard of a story called pigs is pigs Mm-mm. okay some people might know this because disney made a, a little like eight or nine minute short of this in i think the 50s i certainly remember i saw this growing up uh this disney short and it's a this is like one of these like early stories of like The thing that multiplies till it's a big problem. And Uh so it's a story about a guy who works at a a railway station. He uh, he's very, very by the books. And one day he gets a shipment of two guinea pigs. And the guy who they're for comes to pick them up. And the the guy is very, he's so by the book, he pulls out the rate sheet and it says pets are 44 cents and pigs are 48 cents. And he says, well, these are guinea It says, guinea pigs. They're pigs, therefore, 48 cents. And the other guy says, no, they're pets. They're not pigs. It's 44 cents. And so the guy says, well, I have no choice. I, I have to contact the home office and find out, are these classified as pigs or pets? And you'll just have to come back for your pigs when I get the answer.
2: Supervisor's office, Pig Town on the drive.
0: Flannery to Morgan, May 6, 1905. Holding two animals in a crate. Big dispute regarding red. Is a guinea pig a pig or pet? Give ruling on the red to set. Flannery.
1: The supervisor's office was the pride of the company. It received Old Flannery's telegram with train efficiency.
2: They examined the wire
1: and immediately dated it, stamped the receipts, and then communicated it to the
2: department. They quadruplicated it. Copies were sent out to all of the staff. Each copy received was filed and related to copies of copies, then checked and notated Nine copies of each were then validated, and contents were noted in ink on the graph.
0: And while so he radios or, or telegrams the home office, which s- sets off this like chain of like. Bureaucracy. So while he's waiting to hear back, the guinea pigs are multiplying, you know, comedically out of control, just like piles of them. They're everywhere. But at the home office, the like the bureaucracy is multiplying out of control because they keep, you know, they have to talk to this department and generate forms. And they have those forms have to go to other departments and they generate more forms. And the thing keeps spiraling out of control. And I I thought this is a really neat antecedent for this because you know you you on the one hand you have like the literal problem of like hey there's too many guinea pigs to know what to do with and then you have the other thing which is like but we're kind of making fun of how fucked up the machine is right the of of society so that was one thing i thought of is like this that has to be an inspiration that that feeds into this
1: oh yeah i didn't know anything about that that's
0: cool go check out the disney short it's uh, mildly racist but um, still still pretty funny and, and well put together the other there's two other things I was thinking of, and these I bet you probably do have experience with. The first one is the trouble with tribbles. Uh, that sounds familiar. Star Trek episode.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I've heard people talk about it.
0: Yeah, this is same thing that basically the the crew of the Enterprise docks somewhere. Uhura brings on this little fur ball that then multiplies to the point where it's you know again going to cause a crisis within the ship. seem to be gorged. Gorged?
2: On my grain? Kirk, I am going to hold you responsible.
1: There must be thousands of them. Hundreds of thousands. One million seven hundred seventy one thousand five hundred sixty one. That's assuming one triple multiplying with an average litter of ten producing a new generation every twelve hours over a period of three days.
0: And yeah, that's assuming that they
1: got here three days ago and allowing for the amount of grain consumed
2: and the volume of the storage
1: compartment. Kirk, you should have known. You are responsible for turning the development project into a total disaster. Mr. Barris... And I am through being intimidated, Kirk. You have insulted me. You have ignored me. You've walked all over me. You have abused your authority and you have rejected my requests. And this, this is a result. Uh, I am going to hold you responsible, Kirk. Mr. Barris,
2: I'll hold you in irons if you don't shut up.
0: And the little fur yeah. balls, the, the 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 tribbles look exactly like those little fur balls that pop out of Gizmo.
1: Oh, very cool.
0: Uh, so I thought that was worth talking about. And then one more thing to talk about is, of course, the concept of gremlins themselves, which are sort of name-checked by Futterman in the, in the movie. Um, yeah. So if you want to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, just it, this idea that, you know, they're these, like impish sprite demon things that uh, are used in technology, uh, particularly in World War II to take down the Allies, like put them in their planes and stuff like that.
0: I love it. It's like, yeah, folklore explanation, a modern folklore explanation for glitches, which I, I looked at actually goes all the way back to World War One. I. That, you know, as soon as we had World planes war. that we were flying in war, the pilots were complaining about weird shit going on with the planes, and this was their you know way of you know trying to come up with an explanation for what was wrong <laughs> with the aircraft. Yeah, we should talk about Shatner though, right? We got to talk about the the Twilight Zone episode.
1: Oh, sure. The gremlin on the plane.
0: Yeah. Nightmare at 20,000 feet it's called. Yeah. Episode. Uh and remade very well with uh they swap out uh John Lithgow for for Shatner in the, the Twilight Zone movie which I believe Joe Dante who directed this worked on.
1: Yes. And Spielberg, of course, who produced it.
0: Yeah, I love the the concept of Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, which it's so simple. It's just literally, this man is you know thinks he's going crazy because he keeps seeing this monster out on the wing of the airplane that's like messing with the wires and stuff. And yeah, we just watch this guy come unglued over the course of you know I don't know fifteen minutes.
2: Bob, is it the storm? Does it bother you? No. Honey, you remember what I told you before about seeing something outside? Yes. Julia, there's a man out there. I, I, I don't mean a man. I mean a. I don't know what I mean. I mean, maybe a. What do they call him during the war? You know the the pilots, gremlins, gremlins. You so remember the stories in the. Julia, don't look at me like that. Bob, I am not imagining it. I'm not imagining it. He's out there. Don't look. He's not there now. He. he
0: jumps away. Whenever anyone might see him, except me.
1: Yeah, no, it's that's one of the best episodes, at least one of the most iconic.
0: Uh, the Simpsons did it for uh, Treehouse of Horror, so you know. It's oh yeah, famous.
1: oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and the other thing that uh, gremlins uh, kind of that came before it, I think, is vampires. Right? Like they have these rules about vampires, what you can and can't do, and. You know, gremlins were like, and they of course share the sunlight rule. Like sunlight kills them.
0: Yeah, the, you're, that's a good point to raise. Like, more so than any other horror creature, the vampire is like the most known for its rules because there's a lot of rules for it. It's like baseball. There's too many rules. Um, for yeah, vampires. yeah, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like say like you know one or two for a werewolf or or some other creature. But yeah, th- those three rules are so. I mean it's why I kicked off the podcast with him like that's the first thing you think of when you think of gremlins is, are those 3 rules. Uh which yeah. so that's probably a good place to start talking about the movie itself because that is where the movie starts.
1: Yeah, and Chinatown.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's like the Chinatown out of Blade Runner too. Like it's real neon and rainy. Yeah, a and, lot of mist. Yeah, I like this opening. Uh it's uh it's interesting to revisit it because it is so like you get that narration from Mr. Peltzer kind of like as if he was sort of narrating the story, which is funny because he says like, you know, I'm going to tell you my story. And he's actually gone for most of it.
1: Yeah. I've always wondered about that. Like, is he telling us like a secondhand version or it was, you know, like what's, what's the symbolism there?
0: I wonder if it was just like a narrative convenience of like, because I know there was an earlier opening scene that they cut. And I think that to try and move things along. They're like, we'll just get it. We'll just have a start in Chinatown. And we'll deliver a little narration to fill in what he's doing there.
1: He's got such a great voice. Uh, I know everyone's got a story. You know, and you're just like, ooh, let's, I'm settling in. Let's watch this.
0: Yeah, he comes in like he looks like he's like a cross between like the guy who runs the saloon in the Old West and like a hard-boiled detective. Uh, the actor's name is Hoyt Axton. And he's just got that like wonderful drawl. This like yeah. really Texasy drawl that puts you at ease. I'm like, "Oh, this guy is, you know, he's he, we're, he's going to tell you a tale." Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And then and then the first thing you actually hear him in dialogue is doing a sales pitch.
0: <laughs> well, he's he's the classic 80s uh, wacky inventor type.
1: Yeah. And mixed with that, you know, door-to-door salesman type.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like usually the the 80s wacky inventor type, it's more like I think of like Data from the Goonies or Doc Brown um sure you know there's so many of them i don't know why there were so many of these in the 80s other than maybe it was a response to like ron popeel but it was like we just (laughs) damn it we need more rube goldberg machines somebody's got to (laughs) be making rube goldberg machines wouldn't it be nice to drink a hot cup of coffee on the way to work each morning but you can't because ordinary cups spill introducing auto cup by ronco the amazing no spill cup just press the lever and drink release it and it's automatically sealed. AutoCups carrying strap makes it great for golfers, bikers, skiers, boaters, even truckers. AutoCup by Ronco, a great Christmas gift and it's only 4.99. But but his his uh, inventions are so like relatively down to earth. Do you have a favorite of his? I mean, he talks about the bathroom buddy a bunch, but there's others in the movie that are all kind of entertaining.
1: I mean, my favorite as far as the funniest has got to be the smokeless ashtray because of (laughs) how much smoke. (laughs) It's a comical amount of smoke. And it's funny because the first thing, the bathroom buddy, he talks about dragon breath. They show you the dragon. And then at the end, the smokeless ashtray is fuming smoke like a dragon. There's a lot of like tie-ins like that in this movie.
0: I like that one. Uh, I think my favorite is the juicer,
1: yeah.
0: because yeah, we watch Billy try to make orange juice with this thing, and he puts in one pretty small orange, and the yeah. amount of juice that shoots out of this thing—it's like you know five gallons worth of juice out of one you- orange. <laughs> it's you know, I'm, yeah. it's clearly just a joke, but it's to me, I just found that very funny. Of like, not just there's juice everywhere, but like it's still going from this one little orange.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you didn't have to peel it either. And then the egg thing, it would crack the eggs for you. I'm like, none of this even works in concept guys. What are we talking about?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think they have to give the mom a line about like, well, they work for the first few weeks. Yeah. um, But that kind of ties back into the gremlins thing, right? Like, you know, there's literally like old, old school electrical glitch gremlins in all of his machines. They don't work yeah um, but that ties into the other thing that we, we you're, you're, we're we i think we were heading towards which is the commercialism angle and you know him trying to sell these machines that don't work and then we've got the you know this issue with kind of american paranoia in the 80s about uh people from asia and their yeah. effect on the economy um I'll, I'll throw it to you to kind of Filling kind of that gap
1: yeah it was just this uh you know like China and Japan different places were making so much and so there was a big you know there was kind of a push from parts of the U.S. uh you know, like, you know made in the USA kind of stuff but because they could make it cheaper over there then it was it was just inevitable and you know what happened was uh, the market share went went so much over there but they, I, this movie is specifically talking about that paranoia of people having of like well once once you know go our markets then go the rest of the world like it's like that they're trying to take over like some kind of evil overlord or something
0: well yeah i mean the whole movie obviously is about this fear of an invasion right things taking over and you know and it literally of course the mogwai is literally a creature from asia that comes and multiplies you've got you know the sort of very stereotypical Chinatown that they find him in, which is not the the uh the kindest portrayal let's say of uh, Asian Americans pretty pretty yeah. stereotyped stuff um and also like as Futterman talks about like he his his view of Asian products is that they are all cheap crap, but there's yeah. nothing in the movie to support that because all of all of the American products we see in the movie are cheap crap, yeah. So, yeah. yeah,
1: that like subtle narrative, you know, uh, juxtaposition of what they're saying isn't actually what's happening that you're seeing kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Do you know the uh the non-canonical origin of the Magui? Have you ever seen uh, one of these like BuzzFeed articles about this? Mm, no. Okay. Uh so this is from the novelization of the Gremlins movie, so not oh, wow. not to be considered canonical, but in the novelization, they were created by a scientist on an alien planet, and they were to be you know uh, gifts to help teach different races about peace and harmony. Um, but they didn't work right because only one in ten thousand ends up with like Gizmo's nonviolent personality, and the rest mm. are all monsters and turn into worse monsters and everything else. So. Uh, but that yeah, Man. that was his explanation uh, There's all kinds of weird shit in that book If you want to go uh, googling But yeah, <laughs> weird weird shit uh, But this is where we meet uh, We meet Gizmo, sort of You don't see much of him But we get our introduction to these rules As uh, yeah. this little boy sells it behind his grandfather's back
2: Okay mister, here it is
0: Oh right. What about your grandfather?
2: Forget what he said, he's crazy We need the money Now come on, you want it or not? I want it look mister there's three rules you've got to follow you have what kind of rules keep him out of the light he hates bright light especially sunlight it'll kill him and keep him away from water don't get him wet but the most important rule the rule you can never forget no matter how much he cries no matter how much he begs never never feed him after midnight you got it sure kid whatever you say hey listen thanks and have a merry christmas
1: of course, we all know them. You No bright lights, especially sunlight. Don't get them wet and don't feed them after midnight. And don't put any thought into dissecting those rules because, no, they don't make any kind of sense. But just let it be, right? Just let it be.
0: Yeah, the, the amount of uh, internetograms spilled over, like, you know, Trying to nitpick those rules is uh, is extreme. Yeah. Like people go nuts about. Well, how long after midnight can you feed them? I always just intuited that it was at sun up that you you can feed them again. But
1: uh, my, my view on it is, who gives a shit? Uh, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for the movie. But yeah, I mean, you're probably right. It's probably sun up or something. Who who knows? <laughs>
0: I've, yeah, and I've seen people get real wrapped around the axle about the, the water thing of like, well, does that, is it pure water? If they drink apple juice, you know, is that okay? Or like, we see them eating chicken and like, you know, any living matter is going to be like 80% water. You know, if you yeah. take one to Florida, does the humidity make them reproduce? You know, I mean, you can play that game forever. And it's like, as you said, the correct answer is who gives a shit because it's a fun movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they are. I, I think even in the in the sequel, they do start calling out some of that stuff and making fun of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. There's a couple times where it's like, what, what? Now, what if he's got something stuck in between his teeth? And you know, this kind of sh- and it's like, okay. Which I appreciate it. My- I mean, we the sequel could have its own podcast episode because I mean, it's its own movie by far.
0: It, yeah, it's it's much weirder and sillier and uh, definitely worth the podcast. I think it, it, I think we made the right call in trying to not cram it into this one because there's too much to talk about with the original movie but yeah um, uh, my favorite thing about this interaction with the between hoyt and uh, or rather mr peltzer and this kid is like how uncurious he is where it's like yeah because he tells him like don't get him in bright lights especially sunlight that'll kill them oh okay great got it never get him wet don't feed him after midnight At no point does he ask why to those two rules. And when he then explains them again to Billy after giving him gizmo, he also does not, Billy does not say, why? What happens if you do that? Like, wouldn't that be your first question? Like, you've given me this kind of creature I've never seen before. It doesn't appear in any textbook or encyclopedia, you know, hitherto unknown cryptid, and they give you these rules and you don't ask what happens if I feed it after midnight?
1: Well, and do you remember Rand Peltzer's response to the kid who explained it? He just goes, "Sure, kid, whatever you say, like,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: like clearly he'd heard because he explains it later to his kid, but like it's just like these three ridiculously extravagant rules, and you're like, Yeah, that's fine, kid, cool, <laughs> cat's pajamas later,
0: <laughs> yeah." <laughs> It's so weirdly just like I mean I guess if he if he told him he would say no no thanks no 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 monster multiplier for me you can take him back then there'd yeah. be no movie but I even if he had just said why and and the grandson said I don't know my grandfather won't tell me he just said never ever do it that would have like yeah. solved the equation <laughs> but as yeah. it is you just get no dialogue on that which is funny to me
1: Yeah we got to talk about like so then we go into the first thing we see is and Ricky Rialto doing, like, a like a, a Indiana Jones thing, which is one of many Spielberg references in this film.
0: Yeah, that's the billboard that we see for, like, a local radio station. And you're right, so we get, like, the movie theater with the, the two movies on the marquee are the working titles for E.T. and Close Encounters, uh, which yeah. is on who Spielberg... I guess Spielberg produced it, so not a surprise there. Uh, but we get, yeah. like, our... This is like, you know, it's, uh, I forget what they call this town, but it's basically Bedford Falls from It's a Wonderful Life. It's a very, you know, bucolic, you know, quaint little town.
1: Yeah, man, now that, I think it's a falls as well, something falls. Damn it, I thought, now how'd that get out of my head? Anyway.
0: Yeah, not important. Small town America.
1: Super, but it's made to look like that impossibly perfect Americana, right? Snow everywhere, no, you know, no messes. No problems. Children playing and strangers running around, and this, yeah. so it's really gonna juxtapose the whore onto this town that you're like looks like the middle of a snow globe kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it definitely is the perfect town, and they give us our only or, or kind of our main human villain uh, pretty early on. We get Mrs. Deagle. I kind of I, she really looks like Carol Burnett. I would love to see how Carol Burnett would have played this. I'm sure they couldn't yeah, right. get her to do it. Um, but, God, she is so awful. It's wonderful.
2: Mrs. Deagle? What, what, what? I just wanted to let you know that Joe got himself another job. Joe? My husband, Joe Harris, and I've taken up some sewing on the side. Mrs. Harris, what are you trying to tell me? I'm afraid that neither one of us will be paid for two weeks. Couldn't you get Mr. Corbin to, well, to just give us a little more time? Mrs. Harris the bank and I have the same purpose in life to make money not to support a lot of deadbeats Mrs. Deagle it's Christmas (laughs) well now you know what to ask Santa for don't you
1: yeah and I mean she literally openly threatens to torture a dog to death in a public place
0: (laughs) like like Oh, is this the bad guy? Okay, great. Thanks for letting us know. (laughs) Yeah, but not only does she threaten the dog, there's, like, other people that are there in the bank that are like, yeah, yeah, you should do that. They're, like, seconding (laughs) her. Like,
1: what? Whatever Mrs. Deagle wants, man. She runs the town.
0: Yeah, it's... it's, And again, this is sort of straight out of The Wizard of Oz, too, to go to, like, another, like, you know, small-town movie moment that I'm sure... That that reference is not lost on on Joe Dante to try and make this as uh, Mrs. Gulch as possible.
1: Oh yeah, and she's definitely the Wicked Witch of the West. You know, like there's so much symbolism on that. Um, I'll get your little dog to you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> Pretty on the nose.
0: I forget what he did too. He did he broke the snowman or something in her her yard. Her like fancy schmancy.
1: Belgian yeah, snowman. my new Bavarian snowman imported from blah blah blah. Yeah
0: well, maybe you shouldn't put something that expensive out on your lawn. Uh,
1: and then, but before she even does that, she, like, this woman and her her coughing child are, like, begging for an extension on a bill they owe her, and she's like, fuck you. Like, yeah. she like they, they make her the worst. She is, you want to write a bad guy, you nailed it.
0: Yeah, it, it, she is the combo of, like, you know, Mr. Potter, Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> Mrs. Galtz, like, all of these yeah. villains. From those yeah. those, refer, those uh, reference points, all rolled into one. Absolutely. She, they give her no redeeming right. qualities at all. And we meet Billy here, our uh, protagonist.
1: Yeah, 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 Billy. I was literally going to talk about uh, Zach. Um, Gilligan. Gilligan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one of two budding stars in this movie that never really did a whole lot in Hollywood compared to what we assumed they would.
0: The other one being Phoebe Cates? Yep. Yeah, she had already done fast times at Richmond High by this point, and, yeah. Uh, s- secured immortality between that movie and this one. Uh, I um, I like them both in this movie. I find Billy a little odd, in that not not because of Zach Gilligan, but because it just sort of seems like the script w- doesn't know whether he should be the age he is in the movie, which is like you know early twenties or late, very you know, like nineteen. Or should he be like 12?
1: Right. He's got a very Charlie Brown kind of childlike demeanor. And I mean, you know, that might be intentional because, you know, he draws comic books. He reads comic books. You know, he watches. He's got his 3D glasses. He watches sci-fi. So maybe that kind of infantilization or so of like the male artist plays against, you know, like the Judge Reinhold, like the douchey business guy.
0: Yeah, I don't know, uh, in, because he's also really good. His best friend is like Corey Feldman, who at this point is probably what yeah, right? like nine, so or ten. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. So I don't know how that's supposed to work. I, I for some reason, I, I got it in my head that Corey Feldman was his little brother, but he's not. Nope. So
1: just I, yeah, just you know, your nineteen-year-old buddy up with a ten-year-old like you do. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I had so many 10 year olds as friends when I was in my late teens. No. So, yeah, it just, like I said, I feel like there's like probably different iterations of this script that are like bleeding through to the final product. Uh, that's, that's my best yeah. guess as to why that's like that. Because I could totally see this movie working with Billy as a 12 year old protagonist. You know, then it's more yeah. like Monster Squad or, you know, one of those kind of movies, but. Uh, it it still works, or he could be like he is now, and it it, it could work. But th- there is sort of like this odd in between aspect to like, what do you want him to be exactly?
1: Yeah, right. I was going to just talk about uh, Fetterman. We mentioned him a little bit earlier, um, but uh, you know, we see him when when you know it's very subtle. All the stuff that doesn't work in the movie, uh, or at least it was subtle to me at first, till it's kind of pointed out, but. You know, it starts with Billy's car doesn't work and he's like, ah, damn foreign cars. And what is the car? It's uh it's a VW, it's a German made car, not Asian, but it you know, he's like all foreign cars.
0: Yeah. When they make a character like him who's very, you know, America first, uh, they're not going for accuracy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my my racism requires no facts or bounds. But yeah, he ties everything into like there's still some you know, kind of pathos to him, like it's all tied into this you know, what's clearly unresolved PTSD from World War II. Clearly. Gremlins. You, got, you gotta you got watch out for no foreigners because they plant gremlins in their machinery. That's the same gremlins brought
2: down our planes in the big one. The big one. That's right. World War II. Good old... WWII. You know, they're still shipping them over here. They put them in the cars, they put them in the TV, they put them in the stereos and the radios you stick in your ears, they put them in your watches. They got little teeny gremlins for our Um, watches. I don't think it's such a good idea that you drive home. Why don't you walk home? You know, Katie, I think maybe I'll walk home. Good. That's a nice night.
1: And he's right. He's, you know, he's the classic example of the the crazy sounding guy who who is the only one who knew the truth.
0: Right. Yeah, he he's, you know, when he talks about encountering these gremlins in World War II, you have to wonder to yourself, did he actually come across like Mogwai during World War II yeah. or is it, you know, something else? But you're right, he is that trope of like the the crazy guy who no one believes who turns out to be to be right. That's a good trope.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, so Rand comes home with his with the new pet, and we meet Gizmo for the first time, voiced by Howie Mandel. Bright light, bright light. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that for a long time, and then, but I I liked Bobby's World, his cartoon, growing up as a oh, kid. Oh, me and too. I was
1: a big fan. Yeah, yeah.
0: So when I finally learned that, I'm like, oh yeah, Gizmo's Bobby General. It's the same voice. It's, it's yeah. Right there. yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of good voice actors in this movie. Did you see who did all the voices for the Gremlins? Like, there's a few names in no there. No
1: shit, right? I was looking at that list. It's a monster list. Yeah. <laughs> on a, on a, uncoincidentally. Unpunny? I don't know. <laughs>
0: but you've got um, Peter Cullen.
1: Yeah. Huge voice actor. Uh, all all these guys had uh, ridiculous resumes. Yeah.
0: So Peter Cullen, uh, Optimus Prime from Transformers, best known for that. Ah. Uh, and you've got uh, Michael Winslow
1: Sure, Motormouth uh, Jones
0: Yeah, from Police Academy, the guy who makes all the funny sound effects And, uh, of course, Frank Welker, who is in every cartoon ever and Right And is best known, oddly enough, for doing a lot of these like sort of odd animal noises So, like, one you'd know is uh, he's Abu in Aladdin, the monkey uh, he's, I also believe Slimer from the Ghostbusters. So it's a lot of like, blah, blah, oh, blah, blah, blah wow. like that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, he's really good at like yeah. animal noises, guttural sounds, uh, you know, un- unusual things that a person should not be able to do with their voice. He does. So th- those nice. are the three I recognize from the list, plus Howie Mandel. But that, I mean, still, some heavy hitters on on the voice, vocal side for the Gremlins.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, and I I didn't know those until looking them up just for this, doing this podcast. I was like, dang, they packed a punch. With yeah, relatively they, low lifting, like there's not a lot of dialogue from the Gremlins. Only a couple of scenes where we really hear them.
0: Yeah, they barely talk where it's, you know, once in a while you get striped with like, you know, hello but not much. Yeah. It's mostly just to yeah, noises from them. But you need a lot of it because they're supposed to be, you know, over how many thousand of them there are
1: yeah yeah and then uh it's funny you know you've got this pet and he just falls in love with billy right away right even though he gets hit with bright light twice so we're really we're supposed to love gizmo like he's cute he sings you know he immediately cuddles into billy's arms and it's like okay we like this guy you know it's pretty pretty on the nose
0: Yeah. I mean, they do make him like the cutest animal possible. He's sort of like a, like you, if you mixed a King Charles spaniel and a a koala bear, you'd sort of get what gizmo looks like. And I think they redesigned him for the second movie and made him even cuter. The funny thing is that the crew hated him um, because the, the puppet is pretty small and they, you know, the, the crew kept saying, well, can we make it bigger? Because the problem was the puppet would keep like breaking and not working And because Mm -hmm. it was very because it was so small, it was very delicate, and so they got really frustrated. And like so, there's that scene late in the movie where they have like Gizmo on a dartboard, and Mm -hmm. that that was like the cruise idea because they just came came up with ideas like how can we quote unquote torture Gizmo and get back at him for ruining our day for being a difficult. (laughs) Um, Nice, but yeah, he is like nuclear level cute.
1: Yeah, and that voice is like perfect. Like uh, Howie Mandel nailed it.
0: Yeah, this little, like, Ewok creature, they're they're so, um, he's so sweet, and I love that, like, you know, when things start to go wrong, he doesn't really talk very much, he's like E.T., like, he says, like, one word here and there, but, like, you can read his face, they do a really good job with puppeteering his face to, to, like, let you know that, like, he knows, oh, no, you know, it's happening, I know where this is going. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. The puppeteering in this movie was uh, all round. You know, there's a lot, lot of scenes with the gremlins and the mogwai, and I think they're all very well done.
0: Yeah, extremely. the The special effects guy behind this is Chris Whalus, who uh, has come up on this podcast quite a while ago. We did I did an episode on the fly very early on. That's mm. all Chris Whalus's puppetry and and work. Uh, what a fucking genius this guy is with practical effects. Really, really impressive, and and all on display here. This is like for a non I don't think this is a Jim Henson joint, and for a non Jim Henson puppeteering job it's uh it's out of the park,
1: yeah, that's what I assumed too. I assumed, oh well, this must have been a Henson thing, and when it when I discovered it wasn't him, I was like,
0: whoa this this guy's good, <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot of puppet I mean there's a lot of puppetry in this like that scene when they're in the movie theater towards the end, and there's you know they're all there and they're all moving at like at the same time and doing different stuff you must have had like you know 50 different puppeteers on all of the gremlins to, to make that happen. It's uh, it's incredible,
1: yeah. So, as you allude to, uh, Gizmo is the sweet one, but once he gets wet, there are no more sweet ones,
0: yeah. And they, I'm glad the movie doesn't do like what this weird novel did and try to explain why that's the case, uh, yeah. And they, I, you know, in my head, I felt like he had Gizmo for longer before things start to go wrong. But, like, it's literally the next morning they start fucking up the rules. The, yeah. Like, Corey Feldman comes yeah, right over away. and gets him wet. Yeah. And I think by that night they've eaten. Right? I think they they break the midnight rule by the following quote-unquote. Uh, I
1: think... Uh, may, is it that night? or Yeah. It's it's not long after.
0: It's not long. Yeah. The, like, I think Billy's literally telling Corey Feldman, like, no, don't get him wet. And like, wet. You know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, right. real close.
1: And Corey Feldman I, messes yeah. up everything.
0: I like the the scene where gizmo um quote unquote births the other mogwai. not because oh, it's, it's really to cool. watch. it's well done like it's you can see it looks the pup again like the quality of the puppeteering it looks incredibly painful for Gizmo. you can tell that like it physically hurts, but also it like psychically hurts him like he's like, oh no, no, this is bad this is you can tell he knows this is bad,
1: yeah, yeah, and uh this this is really kind of the first horror moment of the whole thing and, and and the music kicks in a little bit and it's just those like pulsating you know little fluff balls we don't know what they are yet and it's like i thought it was really well done of like the tension they build
0: then they watch them they kind of unfurl like popples if you remember those toys yeah from the 80s yeah. like yes. yeah but with like mucus in there like there's a there's enough to like as you said th- th- they're selling the horror of this and they're not letting you in on the idea that there's going to be a comedy in here. Like, this is not played for laughs. This is de- all played for horror.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then they're all born. And what does the inventor father want? I'll sell them. I was like, stop it, Rand. Stop it.
0: Yeah, again, like, the, the lack of curiosity or, like, you know, you you should be extremely worried about what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got them wet and they reproduced. You got, like, six more of them. In over the course of five minutes, yeah, like, in, no point does like fear or curiosity kick in about what this might cause. He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I want to disperse this pathogen and, and make money selling these creatures."
1: Yeah, and then of course, as you said, they trick Billy into feeding them after midnight so that they can become from Mogwai to Gremlin. Those sneaky bastards.
0: Yeah, they unplug his clock, which. Which is funny. I I hadn't watched the movie in so long, that when that happened, it fooled me to a degree of like, oh, okay, this is a fake out, right? That they're eating, and it's eleven thirty, and like I'm supposed to be worried, but I'm not, and it's actually the next night it's going to happen or something. It's this is the setup, not the moment it happens. So it actually tricked me. It was like even though I've seen this movie, (laughs) oh shit, right? Um, But I I knew something was up because the way they filmed them like eating that chicken voraciously and kind of like gross, like okay, yeah. This is the moment.
1: Yeah, well, and you know, again, I didn't think about this growing up or anything, but uh, n- now that I know kind of what the movie's about, like they're always doing something with technology, right? So it's like they knew enough about a clock to where if they pulled the plug at a certain time, that it would work. And it's like, oh yeah, these they are the gremlins, right? They're they're ruining every all of our electronics.
0: Yeah, uh, throughout the movie, we'll see that they'll do things that are like. You know, again, traditional Gremlin ideas. Even though it's like, how should they know what the rules are? You know, but they they know to eat after midnight, right? They they they've been alive for all of you know, whatever fifteen hours, and they, they know what to do. Yeah. They know how to operate. You know, all of these kinds of machines. They it's you know the movie doesn't need to explain this stuff. This is just like what they are intrinsically.
1: Spoiler alert for the second one: they do kind of hint at that they have memories that uh, transcend their deaths. And rebirths, yeah. hmm. which is very interesting. Cause like the one gremlin like remembers the microwave and it's like, how do you remember you, that gremlin died? You're like, Whoa, maybe they have this like psychic thing
0: going on. Interesting. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll definitely have to save gremlins to colon the new batch for uh, another podcast down the line. Cause there's, oh, yeah. there's a lot to unpack with that. Uh, just go watch the key and peel sketch. Um, but oh, God. getting back to gremlins one here. Yeah, things unravel pretty quickly. I really like that. Like he, he We get the moment where he takes the one gremlin off to the local scientist, which yep. is really funny. Like he's just high school science teacher. This guy will know what to do with a, a gremlin. So he puts like sure. him in a cage and tries to, you know, or I guess he does, extract blood from him. I thought maybe that was going to go somewhere other than just like eventually the gremlin uh, you know, kills him. But... I don't know, I thought like we were going to get a scientific discovery about them, and we never do, even in the second movie. I don't think they ever, like, try to approach, like, oh, we, we figured out their weakness, or we, you know, we found a th- why they multiply, or none of that.
1: No, no I didn't get any of that, um, but it was their first kill. It was the first body in the movie, and which kind of set up the horror that now Mrs. Peltzer is stuck in the house with a bunch of them, and this one already killed a teacher. So, like... I, I liked it on that just because I loved the effect of hearing the film, you know, play out, and while he's like teasing him with the candy bar, and then he just fucking kills him. It's like I was like that was very horror for me. I dug that.
0: Yeah, again, edited absolutely one hundred percent like a horror movie and not a comedy. Um, we 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 jumped over the creepy um, HR Geiger cocoons that these things go into.
1: Sure. They yeah.
0: transform. Because I'd forgotten how gross that was, and in my—I in my, was like, I tried in my head. It was like they—they they eat after midnight, and they kind of disappear, right? They maybe they like they go hide under the bed somewhere, and then the next time we see them, they're gremlins. I'd forgotten about these this cocoon stage, which is like appropriately gross. All
2: right, then I want you to bring the vacuum cleaner upstairs for me. <gasps> Well, they're the Magwai, I guess.
0: Except for Gizmo.
2: Did you get them wet or something?
0: No. Did
2: you feed them after midnight? Well, I gave them some chicken. But I made sure that it... No, 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 wait a minute. I made sure...
1: Yeah. it's pretty gross and it's very similar to uh, Alien
0: yeah you can't not think of the Alien eggs when you see these like weird kind of misshapen turd things on the ground that they're inside because yeah. there's like like some sort of like webbing around them like it's not even clear how they do this you know they just curl up in a ball I guess in this form it's like who knows I think in the second movie they just skip right over it you know they—they they don't even bother. They—they they transform pretty quickly. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the gremlins.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even remember at this point. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we see those gross things, and they're and they again, they're like asking questions, but not really. They're like, what's hap What's going on here? Like,
0: <laughs> I would be again, freaking out. At some point, by, yeah, a government agency needs to be called at this point. <laughs> right. Uh, even if it's no. like local animal control somebody's gotta go like alright we need specialists in this is too fucking weird <laughs> this is too
1: scary
0: <laughs> like if I came into the room and there were those like cocoons lying around I'd be like I'm out <laughs> I'm done you know, get, Burn it, kill nope. the fire
1: nope uh, but then we get one of the most epic fight scenes in the history of sci-fi horror comedy
0: yeah, this whole Lynn thing with Peltzer. Billy's mom. First of all, I think this is, this is the first time I ever heard that song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Which I think is like Burl Ive. Yeah, or same. Uh, so I always associate that song with this movie.
1: Same, 100%.
0: So now that song always feels creepy to me, even though I'm sure it's not meant to feel creepy. Yeah. It's just a Christmas carol.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree uh, a million percent.
0: I love how this is shot because, again, it's like that that couple of steps of reveals. Like We all know they've hatched. And she's in the house alone and they do that bit where like, you know, you see that shadow ever so briefly, you know, they, yeah. they kind of slowly reel you into this moment when she finally walks into the kitchen and they're there. Uh, it's it's great.
1: Yeah. And again, they are. We know they're murderers, not just because of the soundtrack, but because they live one already killed. So we know, oh, she's in trouble. And then she says,
0: I am Lynn Peltzer, bitch. And
1: just <laughs> kills three gremlins in three very creative ways. Boom, boom, boom.
0: Yeah. Well, she gets lucky that one of them already just decided to stick its head in a blender. Because they're they're not the brightest creatures. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And then she managed to get one into the microwave, which is super gross. The way that they uh, oh, yeah. have that thing just like unspool. It's like it's not quite an explosion. It's like a little more in slow motion than an explosion. Yeah. It's like a geyser of goo that happens inside this microwave. It's really awful.
1: I was thinking like a like a seventh grade volcano science fair project kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think the last one she just stabs to death with a big knife, right?
1: Uh, is that it? Yeah, the microwave, the blender. Yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's just so like expertly done the thing. And then, the, Oh, then the last one, like it, it like it, it pounces on her and then Billy comes home and lops off his head with a sword from the wall
1: with this into the fire. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just a great, like it, it it's horror action and comedy. You're right. Like it's, it's rare that you kind of get all those in one spot maybe in something like Ghostbusters, but Ghostbusters never goes too far into horror. It's, it pretty much stays in comedy the whole time. Yeah. For the most part.
1: Comedy and sci-fi, yeah. Now this, this does a good job with the horror, especially, and you know, it's like uh, we were talking about Miss Deagle earlier. It's funny because she's like this horrible bad person, but when it's in her house, like we're kind of rooting for it, but we're also like kind of set it up pretty scary.
2: Christmas Carol, I hate Christmas carolers. Mm-hmm. Screeching mm-hmm. boys, little blue snippers. Mm-hmm. I warned you, Brad! <laughs> <friends? laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. We're jumping ahead a little bit to get to her death, but, like, one of the funniest things in the movie is her, you know, they they mess with this, like, uh, chair lift that's on her yeah. spiral staircase so that when she finally sits in it, it goes at, like, a million miles an hour and just goes rocketing out of her window and just hear her screaming as she flies through the yeah. air and lands in the snow. Again, feet up, like kind of Wicked Witch of the, the East. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But you're right. Like that. scene like you, you almost feel bad for her at first, because like it's like, all right, she's an awful human being, but nobody really deserves to get killed by a bunch of Mogwai.
1: Yeah, but the way that they did it, it you know, it still felt like she was trapped in her house, and they were coming in, and, and I remember still feeling like a little scared, even though like I didn't care about her particular survival. It did feel kind of like scary just to think about being in her situation.
0: Yeah, it's it's a home invasion. It's what it, I mean, it's a very yeah. scary home invasion by these menacing creatures. And like, she plays like you know, because she's so mean all of the time when you see her. And then here she's like, you know, all of that uh, front is down, and she's just shrieking and is in utter terror. She sells the shit out of it. She's a gr- I mean, she's a very good actress. I I don't have her name handy, but she's great.
1: Yeah, po- Polly something. I looked her up. I don't remember. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we we skip some stuff, whatever. We, of course, the bar scene—that's epic.
0: Yes, I mean this is when so we we get to the point where eventually Billy goes chasing Stripe out of the house after um, uh, it's he's attacked uh, his mom. They follow they follow the tracks to a YMCA where eventually he jumps into the pool, and this sets off you know mega multiplication. Yeah, yeah. I I love again like the the sound design on that scene where like you've got like the churning, bubbling pool, the smoke, the lights, and then there's just like these like unnatural sounds. It that again played for horror, really scary.
1: Yeah, just a confluence of, of sights and sounds that we're, were perfect for that moment, 100%. And, I mean, it just builds up that, like, you know, like, oh, man, if a few drops of water made five, what the heck is an Olympic-sized swimming pool? <laughs> yep.
0: Again, no one rule we're not caring about is the law of conservation of mass. We don't know where the flesh for these new gremlins comes from. They just multiply forever. Not important. It's not like Stripe yeah. has to go like eat at the buffet to make enough gremlin fuel to, to make these things. But um yeah, yeah, right. super gross. I think they they outdid it in the second movie of that scene where they turn on the fire sprinklers. Sure. Um, I think it's you know, they they won up this, but this is really great. Like again, that like that deep blue and like the scary kind of green flashes of light. Like it's uh it's menacing as fuck. Like it's really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then it's, like, the horror movie went from small to huge, and now they're going to be everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's great. And we get this wonderful, like, montage of them menacing various people in the town. Not just Mrs. Deagle, but you get uh, the Futtermans getting uh, snow plowed. Yeah. Like and again, the... like, right, he, he bangs on the TV. It's not working. You know, oh, there's something wrong with the antenna. There's gremlins up there. Messing with, with that. So the, the technology stuff is coming in. They're fucking with the street lights. Yeah.
1: And the cops don't believe Billy, of course. They tell him to shut up and go home.
0: I think eventually, the, what what is it that convinces them? They, they see Mrs. Deagle go flying through the air. That happens right in front of them. And I think gremlins attack their car or something, right? It's like. Well, I mean, there's a
1: Santa left. Claus. The guy who'd been playing Santa Claus, he had gremlins all over him. And like he falls on the hood of their car. And they're like, what? The? Right. But then right. they mess with their brakes, so they're screwed. And you know that, uh, not the sheriff, but the deputy, you know who that was, right? No. Oh, that was uh, Breaking Bad's own Jonathan Banks.
0: Shit, I knew he was in this movie somewhere. I didn't, I you know, he's so much younger in this yeah. movie. And, like, Mike Ehrmantrout on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is just this shriveled, you know, I mean, not shriveled, but he's this old blobfish-looking guy. Um, yeah. God, I, I did not put that together. You're right. That is uh, that is uh, Mr. Erman for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, it, all the actors in this movie like there's there's no weak links. Everybody does their job very well. For, it's, it's impressive for a cast that has relatively few big names in it. You've got like Judge Reinhold doing very, relatively little in yeah. the film. Yeah you got phoebe cates who was known so that's that's one name but everybody else is kind of just character actors and stuff like not not huge uh draws
1: yeah no and, and which is also kind of telling of the horror genre right of like not necessarily a lot of stars especially in a first film right sometimes a horror movie makes someone a star but like they don't usually cast a lot of stars
0: well they have a lot of heavy hitters behind the. The camera right you've got steven spielberg executive producing joe dante is directing this is not his first thing but um you know a known director you've got jerry goldsmith doing the music who's like a big time the music
1: is worth talking about because that music yeah. is so good uh the themes for the gremlins the theme for gizmo uh like you said the the, the horror moment with the pool and the unnatural sounds like it is just I think through and through cuz you've got the soundtrack mixed with the score and I think they balance each other out really nicely.
0: Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, I don't have his credits in front of me but again, no slouch. I mean, a major major composer. And what I love about the Gremlins theme that 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 that, that, that theme that he does, it's almost like a a, a horror movie version of Jingle Bells. <laughs> like to to the point where like the gremlins are, they show up at somebody's house and it's the image that's behind you on your screen right now, they're caroling and that's yeah. what they're singing. Um, It is like a demented Christmas carol.
1: Yeah. That's, I wonder if that was, is like, can you make us a demented Christmas carol? Yes, I can.
0: It might even be one of those things where they did some musical math. And it's like, if I take the melody of Jingle Bells and then I invert it, you know, and put it in a minor key or something, you, you know, he, he transforms it that way. Because it's got kind of the same like not quite cadence or rhythm, but it's close.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then of course, uh, Gizmos theme.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really sweet. I think there was an early version of the film where he was supposed to turn evil, like he would, you know, he seems cute and then he goes evil and and multiplies. Um, And I I think it was Spielberg who wisely was like, nope, nope, audiences are going to love this thing. You can't do it. And so Gizmo has to be, you know, protected and, and part of the movie, you know, he's on the team through the end. And yeah. he saves the day at the end too. We haven't gotten there yet. But you know, he, he gets all the hero moments too at the end. More so than Billy even, in a way.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and uh I love that because, you know, he's clearly bullied by his, you know, offspring or whatever, and the fact that he is the one that kind of puts him down, that's that's warms the old heart.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's we're getting closer to the climax, but let's talk about a couple of things that happen before we get there. Uh, Number one, we gotta camp out on this Insane monologue from Phoebe Cates
1: Oh my god, it's so Crazy
2: Now I have another reason to hate Christmas Okay, what are you talking about? The worst thing that ever happened to me Was on Christmas Oh god It was so horrible It was Christmas Eve. I was nine years old. Me and Mom were were decorating the tree, waiting for Dad to come home from work. A couple hours went by. Dad wasn't home. Mom called the office. No answer. Christmas Day came and went, and still nothing. So the police began a search. Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Everything was falling apart. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire. And that's when I noticed the smell. Firemen came and broke through the chimney top. And me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird, and, instead, they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve, his arms loaded with presents. He was gonna surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck, died instantly. And that's how I found
1: out there was no Santa Claus. Her acting is great. And it's like, there's no hint of irony. It is just straight played for drama.
0: Yeah. I mean, this whole thing about her, her dad dying on Christmas by trying to shove himself down the chimney, uh, is it's so outlandish. And on the one hand, it sort of doesn't fit the tone of the movie. And yet it sort of does. Uh, yeah right. It, it it's a very odd decision to do this. Like, I don't want to add, like you've had this character say I hate Christmas, and then you find out this is the reason why. And I'm not sure what it adds to the movie. It's, it's very weird. Yeah,
1: I I don't know. Um, I I like it. I, I don't know why, but I mean, it does. It's really gets to know phoebe kate's character the most i mean it's the most revealing thing about her and you know we get to know her a little bit ahead of time but i think it really helps pay off the love story between the two
0: of them yeah it definitely gives them something to bond over for sure because now she's had two of the worst christmases ever so what this reminds me of uh so for the last two years one of my wife's friends hosts uh, a christmas party on christmas eve Uh, And as a tradition And so for the last two years Because we all now have We each have two kids uh, And all of them are like the same ages roughly Grouped together Mm -hmm. So they're all young They're all under, you know, seven years old So Doug gets to dress up as Santa And surprise them at the Christmas party
1: And every time I do it
0: (laughs) I've now done this twice I think of this monologue Not because I tried to go down a chimney Because I'm not an idiot But um, (laughs) But it's still like, yeah, I'm dressing, I I just, anytime I think of like, oh, dad's going to dress up as Santa, this comes to mind immediately.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. No, it's it's an epic monologue. It, if I was, you know, older when I saw the movie at first, I might think it felt out of place. I'm not sure. But it never seemed out of place to me. So I was just always like, that's Gremlins.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at it, but like, it it is like an intrinsic part of the movie now. I I know there was some behind the scenes stuff about them pushing to like, you know, you, you should cut this monologue. And Joe Dante was like, nope, it stays in the movie. And they're like, OK, we will trust your instincts, Joe. This is your movie. You make it how you want. So he's the one who pushed for it. But I don't know what it was specifically that made him want to keep it in there. It's a great character moment for Phoebe Gates, but it is very just odd. Yeah. Uh, and then you and touched then, on this uh, the bar scene. We got to talk about this.
1: Oh, yeah, the bar scene. I mean, so much puppetry is going on, so much symbolism, so much, like, hijinks. A lot of the jokes really take place in the bar scene.
0: Well, this is what I was talking about, like, you know, you, you think you're watching a horror movie. And then some of the, like, this is some of the stuff that would, like, you they would, like, double and triple down on in Gremlins 2. But, like, you have this, like, gremlin who's wearing a little trench coat being sort of Humphrey Bogart at this table. And like you're already like supposed to be like, wait, where would he get this little trench coat from? Why would he know '40s movies references? Like it's just you don't. And it's again like don't think about it. This is just Looney Tunes time now. To the point where I think there's even like Looney Tunes sound effects that you hear in the in the mix.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you get like yeah, I, I, I like one of those, but there's stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and there's like a Three Stooges moment uh right and then you know there's like where'd he get a gun you know there's so many things that are like yeah let's it's just a cartoon just enjoy it it's a lot of fun
0: yeah it's the fun of them wrecking the town
1: yeah Yeah. and seeing like they're what they're not evil i mean they are evil but they're 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 more just like party animals that have no care about the consequences of extreme partying
0: well yeah because like phoebe cates is in the bar she's still trying to tend to these creatures they could rip her limb from limb and they could easily do that or or try but they don't they're just happy to just be in there and goof around they might give her a hard time but they don't they don't actually like inflict violence on her
1: yeah but she gets away because of the use of flash bulbs
0: yep well i mean this is where the rules are good to have right you got to have um a way of turning those rules around to be on your side and this is their one weakness we already know they don't like bright lights so uh they yeah. do stuff where like yeah like the cars pull like cars headlights pull up and that will daze them for a second uh it, it's effective like it works
1: yeah and then, uh i think we with uh, the movie theater scene
0: yeah yeah so this is kind of a continuation of the bar scene in terms of like you know looney tunes stuff from them they're all just like singing along. I can't believe they got the rights to use the clip from Snow White that they use.
1: Disney was not what it is today back in 1984 apparently.
0: <laughs> no, they were struggling for cash in 1984. They were coming off the Black Cauldron and like really having yeah. some some problems in the 80s. It was uh They were like you want
1: to give us money for this? Go for it. Go 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 go.
0: <laughs> yeah. It would be a few more years before like Alan Menken would come to the rescue and uh and fix things. But Man. um Yeah, even still, though, like, it's just very, very funny to watch the gremlins all just like they're, they're, what does he say? Like, they're watching Snow White, and they're loving it?
1: And they're loving it.
2: What are they doing? we are watching Snow White. And they love it.
0: Singing singing along to hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go.
1: Which I wonder if that's also like a a comment on like, uh, oh, they love our, you know, like, even though they're foreigners, they love our culture. Like that's the one thing that we always export is our culture.
0: Yeah. Although it's a German fairy tale. So I don't know if, you know.
1: Oh, interesting. Even more layers to that onion.
0: Because I feel like the idea of a gremlin uh, is it sort of a German idea or like comes from these wars we had against Germany? Mm. So maybe there's like a German kind of bent in there. I don't know. Like Snow White, it's kind of funny. Like it's not a movie you think they would gravitate towards. Like 70% of that movie is about how important it is to tidy up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah the original Marie Kondo. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've watched that movie. I mean, I got young kids. I've seen that movie and I'm like, Okay, so she starts the movie. She's mopping, you know, by the, the wishing well, and then she escapes and she goes into the dwarf's cottage and she cleans it up. And they come home, and then she makes them go wash up. So we get a whole song about them washing their hands, and then they, like, the whole thing. It's, like, it's just a lot of cleaning in that movie. Anyway, cleaning, uh, which is the one thing, of course, the the uh, gremlins are the worst at. <laughs> they, the opposite of cleaning.
1: Yeah. They managed to take him out by blowing up a movie theater.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a great, I love those like shots of them kind of like behind the screen and you see it in reverse and stuff. And they're they're like clawing through the image.
1: Really well done. Very scary imagery.
0: Yeah, very. The, again, I love how they're able to just ride that uh, gear shift between like comedy and horror when they need to. It's uh, It's really neat.
1: Yeah. Of course, uh Big Bad Spike gets uh, he's not in there, so they've got to have a final showdown in the in the Sears or the department store or whatever.
0: Yeah. And again, they give they give this to Gizmo, I think, right? He he gets we see him earlier in the movie watching this like uh race car footage from some old black and white movie. And then he gets to drive like a Barbie car. Yeah. It's, it's great. And he's the one who like drives, he kind of hits at the right moment to jump to the, the release that opens the, the light, the sunlight uh, above them, that fries stripe. It's, it's cool.
1: And, and the, in and it, his death takes so long and it is so well done. Like whatever kind of special effects made that happen is I'd put it right up there with like the thing or American werewolf and, in uh, London or any of these like just amazing practical effects.
0: Well, again, like this guy would go on to do the fly, like you know, you know, again, some of the greatest practical effects in any movie ever. And yeah, that scene of stripe uh, melting in the sun is so gruesome and it takes so long and it feels so like real, like they, they really do a good job of selling like, yes, this is what happens when these things hit sunlight. Absolutely. Just, gross to watch as he like slowly just disintegrates and melts into this fountain
1: yep and then uh it ends with uh the original
0: i was gonna say huh? they they do the horror movie trope right they do that one more scare because yeah. his skeleton like jumps out of the the fountain and like wheezes and then dies and melts some more until he's totally gone like it's it's really yeah strange.
1: yeah yeah, he's not dead yet. Oh, no, he really is, though. He is. He is dead.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll talk about the ending here.
1: And then the end, the uh, the original Chinese shopkeeper uh, tracks down Rand Peltzer and is like, I told you that you, this is too much responsibility for you. You're not ready. I'm taking him back.
0: I love that he's like, he says something like, "I I this is the Chinese guy I bought him from. He's like, purchased. Interesting choice of words.
1: Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I love this uh, this uh, this guy who plays uh, Mr. Wing is the character's name. Uh, I I heard that uh, I guess he was 80 years old, but he was in such good shape they had to still put old age makeup on him. Oh wow, which is amazing. And yeah, I love that he really just kind of states the themes of the movie. He's you know, look, like, you're not ready for this. You do what everybody does, all you Americans do to the natural world. You abuse it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh it's like yeah they don't deserve to have gizmo they're clear they're clearly not responsible enough to be mogwai owners
2: yeah i warned you with mogwai comes much responsibility but you didn't listen and you see what happens
1: i i didn't mean it
2: you do with mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts You do not understand. You are not ready. Yes? Uh, He has something to say uh, to you. You mean you understand what he says when he speaks to you? To hear, one has only to listen.
0: Uh,
1: and but you know, it is nice ending when he's like, "Perhaps one day you'll be ready." It leaves it open for a sequel, which, of course, we do eventually get. And then you know, Gizmo was really like. Hey, even though all this happened, I still, I, like, I love you, Billy. I'm
0: like, oh, bye, Billy. Because his last line, right? Bye, Billy. And you're like,
1: he loves him. <laughs>
0: uh, and but yeah, that's Gremlins. He takes, uh, he takes him and walks away. And then I, we get one more bit of uh, narration from Rand Um uh, We didn't talk about Rand Pelter's own little odyssey, where he goes off to um, this like convention. The convention.
1: Yeah, and we get Ooh. a brief moment of st- seeing Steven Spielberg in frame.
0: Yeah, he like he's like in a uh, cart or a golf cart or something. He goes in front of the frame for like a second.
1: Yep. Yeah, then we see H. G. Wells' time machine, and then we cuts back, and the time machine is gone, and there's a puff of smoke, and people are like, "What happened?"
0: Yeah, I love that because I never noticed that before. I watched that in this movie, and I I'd recognize the time machine immediately because I I loved that movie growing up. I watched it a bunch. And I love that design. That time machine design is real cool. So I, my eye was on it this time. I don't think I ever and I've noticed it before. Like, oh, that's a really funny gag that the time machine, I guess, is real. And yeah. you also get uh, Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet and many other sci-fi things. Uh, lost in space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I didn't know about that until I watched that YouTube uh, video that we, we saw. But,
0: you yeah, know, it was pretty nuts. Yeah, I'll put that in, a link to that in the uh episode notes so you can click on it. This person did a breakdown of all the little easter eggs in the movie and stuff, but it is funny like that they get rand out of the way for all of the like, you know, the shit going down. Yeah. And then he gets to come back and like, "Oh, what happened?"
1: Again, I wonder if there's some commentary on like he's the one that introduced the problem, but he didn't have to actually deal with the problem. <laughs>
0: I think there is. I think that's a great observation that yeah, he exactly he dodges the responsibility for any of this.
1: Yeah. Such a good movie. And uh the, you know, I think the sequel uh it's it's different in many scopes, but I think it's uh, I was glad we had it and I'm I'm so glad we have it. I, I don't rewatch that one as much as the original, but it's it's definitely a favorite.
0: I think that one has had a critical reevaluation. Over the years, that people have realized, like, okay, you know, you were expecting more of this, and it's just different. It's not doing a different thing, it's weirder. Um, And, like, yeah, there's a lot of shit in it that makes no sense, but you're supposed to recognize, okay, this director is not going for that. This is not, you're not meant to view it that way. It's almost like we sort of got two, like, both of them are blends of horror and comedy, and this one is way more horror, and that one's way more comedy um yeah but yeah you're I'm, I'm glad it exists we'll definitely do an episode on gremlins too. we're supposed to get a gremlins cartoon this year on hbo max that uh, okay. has been a while yep been a while in development i know zach gilligan is in it uh i oh, don't wow. think any of the other actors are in it but it's that's not surprising because from what i understand it's a prequel And it takes place Mm. like in the 40s. So maybe Zach Gilligan is, you know, narrating it or, you know, part of a framing device or something. And I don't think Howie Mandel is uh, reprising Gizmo either. But we'll at least be getting some additional Gremlins content in theory here in
1: 2023. uh, Oh, anxiously awaiting.
0: Yeah. So, Rich, now that we've kind of recapped the movie here, um, why do you think that this movie has... Remained you know here in our zeitgeist because it only got the one sequel there, there hasn't until now there really hasn't been any revisiting of it in any in-depth way uh, but I feel like you know everyone who's from our generation forward they all know this movie and they all love it
1: it's just so well done and you know the reason why Spielberg uh, bought the rights to it to executive produce it is because he said it's the most original thing he'd come across And I still think it's one of the most original things like how many other sci-fi horror comedies ride that line really well, have original characters, you know, that don't feel like a carbon copy of some other genre. It's not like another zombie film or something like that. And it's really this like moment in the in the mid 80s that we we haven't done better than I don't think. And so it still serves as that like, oh, this is how you do this kind of movie.
0: Yeah. I think there's a big part of that, that there isn't, it is so unique. There's really nothing else like it because it occupies this weird spot in the middle of the Venn diagram of the like nine different genres it's trying to do. (laughs) Um, It's it's doing all this stuff and you get the like bonus of it being a Christmas movie that makes it, you know, and you, if you, uh, if you happen to land on a good holiday like that, you know, people will bring it out every year and be, I think if this was a Halloween movie, people would talk about it. It would say, "Oh yeah, let's watch a horror movie." It'd be in the mix, um, the same you know with all the other kind of horror movies that you would bring out of Halloween. But because it's a Christmas movie, it's like you know there are no other there are there very few Christmas horror movies. I, I know yeah. they tried to do it with like Krampus, and there was that Violent Night thing last year, but that's more action. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like you know it's it really is one of a kind. So it's like, yeah, yeah. i want a, I want a little Halloween in my Christmas, and I don't mean you know Tim Burton's the Nightmare before Christmas. I want an actual yeah. horror movie, uh and so, yeah, where else are you gonna go like it's uh, but it is entertaining on its own merits for sure,
1: absolutely, yeah, uh, and just you know I still get I still love rewatching it.
0: I had a great time going back to this, and going like, oh man, it's been so long since I was really looking forward to revisiting it'cause I need it's good to have an excuse to do it. And uh, oh, man, yeah. it's still fun. I I think my kids are a little too young for it, but but uh my oldest is getting close. So it'll be fun to show her this and you know let her feel like she's watching a grown up scary movie when in fact she's watching, you know, um little green puppet Looney Tune stuff.
1: Sneak, sneak sneak
0: one by her the way it was snuck by me. Nice. Yeah uh rich uh thank you so much again for doing this This was this was a delight um can you uh tell our audience where they can find you
1: thanks as always for having me doug love being on your show uh you find me at rich baker coaching on instagram or facebook or www.richbakercoaching.com for improv classes doesn't matter where you are because they're online it's most fun you'll have on zoom
0: damn right uh and to do a little admin on our side of course if you like this podcast go to apple itunes or uh, google player or uh, stitcher wherever you found this thing give it a nice review uh we'll read those on the air if you have feedback on our recent episodes which would be this one uh most recently we did final fantasy 6 and uh before that power ballads so um but anything you want to write in about of course let us know tweet it uh, tweet that feedback to at nostalgia pod on twitter or you can also find us on instagram send us a message there and i um, uh, got a few cool things coming up, uh, hopefully. Uh, we've still been talking about doing that Animaniacs episode. Uh, hoping we can put that together soon. We're also going to do one on Pokemon relatively soon, I hope. So that'll be fun to talk about that mega franchise. So um, good things in the work, of course. And um, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia. Arcana.
2: we don't let it all hang down. After midnight, we do gonna juggle again, shout. We're gonna stimulate some action. we do gonna get some satisfaction. We're gonna find out what it is all about.